Welcome to the Nonprofit Newsfeed, nonprofitnewsfeed.com, bringing you the best news from the best sector, news from a nonprofit perspective and what matters. This show brought to you by Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thanks for joining us. This week, this week, on the Nonprofit Newsfeed, bringing you stories from the nonprofit sector. Of course, my name is George. I feel like I never introduced myself. My name is George. I'm the chief whaler of Whole Whale, and we have Nick. Who are you, Nick? Hey, everyone. I'm Nick. I'm digital strategy manager here at Whole Whale, and I've been co-hosting this podcast with you, George, for, I think, over three years now. Yeah. Well, I feel like we used to do the intros. I've been changing the pre-roll, but there you have it. Nick, we are talking about the tale of two billionaires and some other stats about giving in the crypto philanthropy space, some updates from ACLU, and then the biggest election cycle in history. So let's kick it off. Sure, George. Excited for this one. Our first is the tale of two billionaires, a tale as old as time, particularly because we talk a lot about billionaires and philanthropy, and this is something, a phenomenon that's been around for a while, but I think we're starting to see a generational shift in how philanthropists, billionaire philanthropists, are giving their money. So in a blog update, Mackenzie Scott outlined the nonprofits that directly have benefited from her gifts. Scott gave out approximately $2.1 billion in cash, famously no string attached donations last year, bringing the total amount of donations she's given up to almost 16 billion since 2019, a phenomenal sum. That contrasts with the announcement of billionaire investor Warren Buffett, who said he would commit in the form of shares, approximately 1.5 million Berkshire Hathaway shares going exclusively to the Susan Thompson Buffett Foundation. This reported, of course, by CNN. And I think, George, on this podcast, we're particularly interested in this because not necessarily the sum of money, you know, philanthropy has been around for a long time, but we're starting to see a divergence and a contrast between Warren Buffett, who's getting up there, who's been in the game, the game of life for a long time, and Mackenzie Scott, who has a lot of life left to go, differences in, in contributions via shares and DAFs, investments, a single family foundation versus direct monetary contributions. So, George, what do we take away from this? You know, we were trying to cut it a bunch of different ways, and I think this also falls on, I like seeing, you mentioned DAFs, right? Donor advised funds, which they, according to recent research, have been trending closer to 9% giving. But technically, I looked this up just to make sure because I didn't believe it, I don't have to give anything. <laughs> They're not like required to give anything. They can just sit there as a, as a charitable little engine. And, you know, there's two ways to cut it. One, you spoke to generationally. Generationally, is there a shift in the way that you know, billionaires that are over the age of X, call it, you know, 50, 60, 60, maybe for how they're treating it and how they give. And to be clear, Warren Buffett has donated around 51 billion. And that includes gifts to the Gates Foundation, but also, yeah, notably, notably to family run foundations, including not limited to the Buffett Foundation, to Nova Foundation and it's different. It's very different than Mackenzie Scott doing a lot more direct donations, checks being sent right away, very large ones on an ongoing basis and open applications and frankly, very transparent. Right? You can go and look at all of the organizations that 
uh, she has given to. So there's two ways to slice it. One, by generation. Is it one where you have maybe just to oversimplify it, a more paternalistic point of view in the way that charity has to be sort of carefully doled out and, and, and done via a controlled family philanthropy or slowly over time through a drip, drip, drip from DAFs? Or do you need to put that money to work? Do you need to put it to work right away? Because the the problems we face are so apparent and present as you know shown by how the immediacy of Mackenzie Scott's giving seems to be. The other one I'm trying to parse out, and I'm curious what other people think, is how much does it matter when you started from a small amount of money and grew it yourself and then are giving away versus you inherited it, right? Mackenzie Scott inherited this in many, many ways in the sense that she got a large amount of money that it wasn't from her direct business, right? Does that change the way we give? And you know, that that's sort of in the back of my mind as well as we go through the coming generation, coming decades where we'll have the largest wealth transfer in history from the boomer generation to the millennial and follow on generations where those, you know, there are going to be a lot of, you know, potentially new decisions made by billionaire philanthropists. Absolutely, George. And just to share an anecdote, yesterday I had the opportunity to speak to two people who have been working at two different very large NGOs recently. And we the topic of influence of donors and philanthropy came up. And I think that this highlights that difference really starkly in our conversation in so much that Scott's gifts to some of these nonprofits can absolutely change their fortunes. And I, mean, I think, <laughs> I mean, absolutely. And, 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 and extrapolating that to a global setting, donations, direct cash donation to small nonprofits operating in XYZ, underreported, underfunded context, wherever it may be in global South countries and, and you know, can make a world of difference um, and is quite, quite, quite different from a very consolidated, very rigorous funding or even grant-making apparatus as pursued by family foundations. And I think that both are actually pretty diametrically opposed models for what philanthropy can and should be. So just an interesting, interesting conversation. Yeah, look, it's, it gets down to the speed of deployment, long or short. And those have implications. We did a sort of fun poll informally asking folks if it is generous when a billionaire donates money to foundations run by their family. And we had three options. 29% said, nope, that's a tax write-off. A lot of you on YouTube <laughs> said, nope, that's just selfish giving to your family. 62% did say yes, assuming that grants are made. And I, I can confirm, you know, when you look at the Thompson Buffett Foundation, very much a lot of actual gifts being put out there, being done. You can get their 990s. It's all public. And, and those gifts do make it. And then 10% <laughs> say kind of, but it don't feel right uh, for giving to family foundations when you are a uh, billionaire. So I, I thought that sort of distribution was kind of interesting. Absolutely. Fascinating. And I love that we get to interact with our with our audience I'll take us to our next story, George. And this one comes from the Giving Block. 
and the most generous donor on the giving block, the quote article from the article quote, Faces of Crypto Philanthropy, appears to be Vitalik Buterin, co-founder of Ethereum, whose donated cryptocurrencies valued at over $1 billion through the giving back to various causes, including COVID-19 relief, medical research, Ukraine humanitarian aid. And we haven't talked about crypto donations in a while, but I think that this is notable in that it's still very much happening. And while narratives have shifted around crypto, it's still very much an incredibly important, viable, new and exciting form of philanthropy and giving. Yeah, our, our friends over at the Giving Blog put together this faces of philanthropy. But what's interesting is, see our previous conversation, a lot of these folks younger have come into wealth and have made direct donations to nonprofit organizations. So you see these top philanthropists giving directly to the actual non operating nonprofit that are then deploying funds. There is some around the Pineapple Fund, but they have been also distributing funds as it goes and not operated by like a family foundation of that particular philanthropist. I think, you know, as the crypto market wakes up a little bit from a from a bit of a winter, it might make sense for your 2024 strategy to include an option for people to give to you via crypto donations as the total market actually eclipses around a trillion for total assets uh, in in that in that arena. Absolutely. Agreed, George. All right, I'll take us into our next story. And this one comes from the phenomenal nonprofit public funded newsroom Gothamist, which if you don't know, is the NPR of digital journalism in New York, public funded digital outlet. And the title of this story is that the ACLU will legally represent the NRA in court, and its New York affiliate is not happy about it. So the national ACLU's de decision to represent the NRA in a Supreme Court case over alleged free speech violations by New York State has led to a rift with its local New York affiliate, the New York Civil Liberties Union. So the NYCLU's executive director, Donna Lieberman, contends that the ACLU's role as counsel is unnecessary, given the NRA's significant legal resources and differing principles. The case ultimately centers on whether New York's actions against the financial institutions working with the NRA constitute state censorship. And the ACLU nationally argues that such, quote unquote, censorship could set a dangerous precedent for silencing advocacy groups. So this is a quite interesting dynamic. Sometimes we've covered stories like this before, where local affiliate uh affiliates of an organization disagree with the national broader organization. And these tensions are, are, are bubbling to the surface. They are real. And it's, I think, quite fascinating for an organization as large as the ACLU to be, to be wrangling with. I think, aside from like what I personally think, I think the ACLU is probably doing its job if it's pissing off people on both sides of a political spectrum. If you're, you know, truly trying to fight for free speech and what that looks like, uh, yeah, you know, it can't just be free for me speech, which I see an awful lot uh, out there. So we'll see how it develops inside of an organization, though. 
Absolutely. That, that, those must be some fascinating Zoom calls. And I'd love to be on a, a fly on the wall of those. But all right, George, I've been waiting all year for this. This comes from The Economist, and this is something I'm truly very passionate about, is that The Economist reports, as do many other organizations and pretty much everyone working in election integrity and civil society know, 2024 will be the biggest election year in global history. So in 2024, 76 countries are set to hold elections across the world. The United States, India, Indonesia, Ukraine, 37 EU member states, numerous states in Africa and Latin America in critically vital consequential elections, elections in Taiwan, hot points or flashpoints in international relations. And George, I spent a lot of time in the civil society, election integrity, human rights, dis and misinformation space. And there have been a lot of people pounding the alarm that next year is going to be an intense one when it comes to just the, the tension and the, the rampant kind of intensity of the information warfare, both legal and illegal, that's going to occur next year in light of these elections. The Economist reports that major democracies like Brazil, India, Indonesia, and the US, as I listed, as well as flawed democracies, competitive authoritarian democracies, democracies that have withering institutions but still have elections are also going to the polls. And George, this is a major year for democracy around the world, in which I think it's hardly controversial to say are trying intense times. I think that the takeaway from this is that nonprofits are on the front lines of informing its constituents and informing the public about the importance of participation, the importance of upholding democratic institutions, and also against inoculating its communities against all the influences that are going to attempt to manipulate them both for better and for worse. If you are a community organization, an education nonprofit, even a health nonprofit, of course, with abortion in the United States being top of mind, I think that the election is going to shape how a lot of nonprofits communicate on issues over the next year. And I think it's also important to know that beyond America, that's going to be happening in 76 other countries overwhelming majority of the world will be voting in consequential national elections. And we shall see what that brings. Yeah, I agree. I think the word inoculating is exactly right, especially when I think about the amount of AI deep fakes that are probably going to be so easily generated and misunderstood that there's going to be a lot more confusion than in any other election cycle before. I think for a lot of nonprofits, remembering to not get caught up in the individual politician, but rather the policy and the larger issues that you care about surrounding your, your cause will more likely help you in the, the fundraising narratives that will get through. Uh, we'll get through in a very noisy election cycle, but we'll, we'll see what happens and we're going to be excited to cover it. Yeah, George. 
That's absolutely true. And I think we could probably spend a whole podcast on that. But even you bring up AI, even the inverse of that can lead to just as much mis and disinformation. People now have people now claiming that a video that actually purports to be true or AI is, <laughs> is true. You know, it, it adds a ton of uncertainty, lack of information integrity. And we can talk about, you know, confirmation of authentic content and content authentication. There's so many webs to go down. I will say that if you are particularly interested in topics related to technology, elections, anything in the mis and disinformation sphere and policy in particular, Tech Policy Press should be your go-to resource. It's phenomenal. It's all contributor driven. It's a nonprofit news model. It started as a blog by some guy in Brooklyn, and now it has a full-time staff. I've gotten to speak with some of them. It's truly a phenomenal resource, so definitely check it out. George, I'm super excited for a feel-good story. George, I know you love getting, getting a letter in the mail. A tale as, as old as time to take us back to the top story, but the USPS, that is the U.S. Postal Service Operation Santa program, a century-long tradition, enables the public to adopt and respond to letters sent to Santa. It began in 1912 when Postmaster General Frank Hitchcock authorized postal employees to enter answer Santa's mail. Um, it expands it in the 40s. It uh, allows for public participation and getting to answer these letters from kids. Um, and the program went digital in 2017, increasing accessibility and participation. Um, so it's not technically a 501c, it's not a nonprofit, um, but the USPS initiative brings joy to kids everywhere. You can adopt these letters. And the story was also featured in a documentary called Dear Santa in 2020. And if you'd like, you can go visit the USPS Operation Santa website, uspsoperationsanta.com to learn more how you can get involved. Absolutely love the story of the USPS, like turning that from like 1912 into an absolute annual staple of this random acts of kindness operating at scale. Not a C3, but frankly, doing the right thing in the right way. Nick, I uh, do have a question for you. I uh, hope you're ready. Why is depression right. rates, why are depression rates dropping in the North Pole? Just a question for you. Depression rates, like people being depressed? George, I don't know. High elf esteem. A lot of high elf esteem there. Elf esteem. All right, happy holidays. This has been the Nonprofit News Feed Summary of the Week. Thanks for joining us. As always, you can find resources at nonprofitnewsfeed.com. And don't forget to sign up for our weekly email summaries of the best news from the best sector. <laughs>